and we're back. Hello, everybody. Hi, Say hello, Dean. Hi. Why ahead of you? How's things? <laughs> <laughs> things are good. Yeah. Yourself? We, um, I think we have a good bit to catch up on, and um, we may have um, one or two extra things on my side anyway, because okay. I have been trying to figure out what will I talk about? And I have just realized that I've read about 10 books since we have um, last recorded. So yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, just going to go with the flow this time mm-hmm. and pick a couple off the fly. Maybe go with whatever I liked because it'll get negative if I say things I don't like. And we can maybe save that for another show. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah, like I say, there's been plenty of time in between. So uh, you can go through all that. I've uh, I've got a few things to go through myself as well. Uh, maybe not as much as yourself because mm. life has been quite busy, hence the, the interval. But yep. um, yeah, let's take it from there. So would you like to lead us in with whatever you've been checking out recently? I would. I think... Um the best place to start is something that we might be able to talk back and forth on together. Okay. Because, Dean, I read the first novel in the Expanse series by James S.A. Corey. Ah, okay. Uh, cool. Titled Leviathan Wakes. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. It was great. Now, in my research, I have not watched this show yet just to preface this little chat yeah um because i was dead set on reading the books first i didn't buy all of the books but i got about 75 percent of the way through leviathan wakes and i went out and i bought all the rest of them and there's seven more after that so i purchased all the way up to book eight which is tiamat's wrath um and then book nine which will be the last one is coming out in November, I think, October, November, around Mm -hmm. that period anyway. So I'll be blasting through that series probably for the rest of the year, maybe into 2022. And from my research, the Amazon show or what used to be the sci-fi show and now the Amazon Prime show uh, covers basically a book a season. So where they are now is around book five. Yeah, I was going to say there's been five today. Yeah, so... What I might start doing, if the podcast will be interesting for it, mm-hmm. is um, read a book, watch the season, corresponding season, and then maybe try to compare both. But for now, I've only read the first book, so I'll just give you my initial kind of feelings about it. I know you and a mutual friend of ours really love the show, and it's been on my list for a very, very long time now, at least a few years um, maybe like two or three years since our mutual friend told me about it. And um, I've held off for this long and I am very, very, very glad I did because the books, I'm sure the show is the same, but the books are so well paced, so well written, great characters, great twists. Um, the twists are really what make it because you're just constantly turning the pages. So I'm glad I read it before because I can see myself, I, I could see myself not having picked them up after watching the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but for anybody who doesn't know, just I'll get the basic premise out of the way. It's an undetermined period in the future 
it's science fiction. It's pure sci-fi. It's top tier sci-fi space opera stuff. So it's an undetermined amount of time in the future. Um, probably it feels a feels like within stone's throw in the future. I, I like that kind of sci-fi. It doesn't feel too far, mm-hmm. but it feels like just enough that you can imagine these things happening. So we've expanded out into the solar system, humanity, and there's a population on the the belt, the asteroid belt. There's a population on Mars, and obviously the UN now control the Earth, essentially. I'm not sure yet if the Earth is now like all one thing or if they're still split up into geopolitical kind of borders. I'm not sure yet. We'll see how it Mm -hmm. expands. Ha. Um, <laughs> and Mars have their own kind of culture. And then the belt, which is the most fascinating region or place we visit in the books, has its its own personality, their own. The humans have developed in weird ways. Yeah, they've developed their own culture, haven't they? In, yeah, in sense, and, it's, yeah. and it's great. It's really, really fascinating to read. So we have two POV characters, two point of view characters in the first book. And in the second book, it expands to four or five, I think. Um, So we are following Detective Miller, who is a belter, lives on the asteroid belt on Ceres Station. He's like a James Cagney, Humphrey Bogart type noir cop. Great stuff. And we're following... um, Mil, uh, Holden, Jim Holden, who is, no spoilers, he starts off as the XO, the executive officer of the Canterbury. And it's essentially a missing persons case slash civil war or cold war between all the different factions of humanity now in the solar system. And there's quite literally somebody flings a rock essentially and ignites war and it's fantastic and it, it, that's basically the backdrop of, of our story um, I don't really know how much to tell or to spoil because there's a really big thing that happens in the first 20 pages of the book um, and I know because I've watched the first two episodes of the show now just I'm I'm I don't want to spoil myself with the show, so I'm just kind of incrementally like, oh, I'll watch an episode here, I'll watch an episode there. So I know uh, it happens at the end of the episode one of the show <laughs> where the Canterbury is blown up, basically. Um, and Jim Holden and his smaller crew uh, wave bye-bye to the rest of their crew. <laughs> <laughs> so it feels like a big spoiler, but it happens in the first, we'll say, 20 pages of the book, 50 pages maybe, and at the end of the first episode. So that kind of kickstarts everything. Some spoilery things happen and then they be, they come into possession of a new ship called, uh, well, I've only read it so I don't know how they're pronouncing it in English, but in Spanish it's called Rocinante because it's named after Don Quixote's horse. From, okay. I don't know if I anyone has to ever... I it as the Rocinante in the, in right. the show. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, right. Yeah. Rocinante. You that pronounce seal, it correctly. Feel, feels <laughs> weird likely. for me to say that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or but the yeah, Rossi, sh- actually. It's, it's shorthanded as the Rossi. Yeah, the they, they, sh- yeah, they shorten yeah. it in the books well, the Rossi, yeah. So, yeah. cool. Um, 
Rossinante. That feels weird to say. <laughs> anyway, um, so basically our two protagonists, Miller is searching for a missing person, Julie. And Holden and his crew are just trying to figure out why people are trying to kill them. And eventually the two plot lines converge. Big spoilery things happen. Uh, we get to know the rules of our new solar system. And it's classic space opera sci-fi. It's grey. It's, um, it's intriguing. You want to get to know the rules of this new world. So you just, you just sink into it. I'm about to start Caliban's War, which is the second book, where we meet, um, oh, I can't say her name, Aversala, Aversarala, something. She is one of the protagonists of the rest of the series. Yeah. And she is in the UN on Earth. So, and then we're also going to meet two characters, I think a Marine from Mars and somebody else. Uh, Bobby, yeah. So Bobby and mm. there's another Prax, is it? Is that? I can't remember. Yeah. I've only read yeah. the first. Sorry, it's been a while since I was binging yeah. on it, but yeah. I've it's only read to... the first 20 or so pages of book two because I'm going through other stuff now, which I'll talk about maybe a bit later or mm -hmm. save it for another show or something. But yeah, I'm bouncing between a lot of things. But back to the expense. Leviathan Wakes. I would say... If you, even if you actually, even if you have watched the show, I would recommend picking up the books because... I, I definitely wanted to after finishing the show. I said that to... That's cool. We, we'll mention him, I'm sure you won't mind. Where I said that to yeah. Ron after I saw the show, um, that I definitely want to check out the books as well. But I do know that it's quite a, an extensive sort of amount yes. of stuff to get through. That's why I kind of thought, well, I'll kind of wait because I'm a slow reader. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to checking I it out. I thought I was a slow reader. But I read Leviathan Wakes in a week. Okay. So I think, you know, I guess it's just finding the time to sit down and do it. But when I was finding the time to sit down and do it, I'd read 100 pages, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, w I would highly recommend it. It's a blend of obviously space opera, but there's this noir kind of vibe, at least in the first book. I doubt it continues on really. Yeah, it's an it's an aspect of the show. Definitely, it's in there, mm. like you say, with uh, with um, that sort of plot line. But yeah, also, what really appeals to me with the show as a whole, and and because I've never really been too much of a space opera type of person, really. Yeah. But the thing that it relates to with me is, I've always grew up a big fan of Red Dwarf from day one. But also, like that being inspired by Blake Seven, and obviously yeah. Blake Seven's massive impact on a lot of things like that, especially firefly yeah. uh, this show has that aspect as well of that idea of like this ragtag sort of bunch of outsider yeah. characters all on one ship together whilst chaos is going on around them and they're yeah. all really lovable likable sort of well drawn out characters in that yeah. mix like uh, it's got that element to it um i, I really enjoyed being with those characters yeah. way more than any sci-fi i've seen in a very long time yeah. yeah, and it's it's kind of the thing that just keeps you in the big, massive, epic story, mm -hmm. you know, because there's some big shit going on in this um, series. So it's it's good to have uh, to be grounded in this little crew of five or six or or, or whatever. Well, it it varies a little bit. <laughs> no spoilers. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think 
the what appealed to me most at least drawing me into it was the mix of the mix of genres or the mix of types of stories so there's elements of horror in there that I wasn't expecting uh late on into the first book um with a certain thing happening on one of the stations on the asteroid belt there's a and once you know once the kind of situation with the missing person's case reveals itself and Miller and Holden finally meet and they their kind of plot lines converge there's there's horror aspects that I really really enjoyed later on and um I'm really excited to keep going with that with that series now with well with the books um but I might as I said do the um the book and the corresponding season and the book and the corresponding season. So I think that might be a fun way to go about it. Yeah, but I noticed on the show, they already have, um, Aversala or again, I'm probably butchering her <laughs> name. I see they already have her in, in episode one of the show. So they've clearly like, uh, changed a couple of things around just to introduce more points of view, because I can see that being a, maybe a slight complaint of the first book in the sense that you only get two points of view in this massive world in the in the first book. Mm-hmm. I liked that, but I think maybe if you've watched the show first, you might it might be a complaint for you from the book that I guess you don't get that many perspectives and it's a bit dude heavy. Um, yeah. Well, dude heavy being that there's two dudes in the first book, but mm-hmm. um Trust me, there's a wide variety of characters and I can see just from flicking through the later books that they don't stay just with two guys for the whole thing. It It's kind of a little, it feels like a cheap comparison, but a little bit a song of ice and fire in space yeah. um, with, with many different points of view and, and factions and I guess sides. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, highly, highly recommended. And curiously... So the author, James S.A. Corey, is actually two dudes, um, Ty Frank and something Abraham. And Abraham was an assistant for years to George R. Martin. Ah, okay. Helping Mm -hmm. him through the writing process of A Song of Ice and Fire. Mm -hmm. And George R. Martin was the first person besides the publisher to read The Expanse novels. Ah, okay, cool. As they Mm -hmm. were writing them. And he's got a little... A little credited blurb, a little credited uh, quote or praise on all of the books, which I yeah. thought was a, a cool little um, a cool little uh, connection. Also, mm-hmm. there's a there's a kind of a major plot theme that I've now just after learning that noticed that is very similar to Game of Thrones or A Song of Ice and Fire, just with big war going on, all the different factions vying for power, and then. S- Something else coming. Yeah, <laughs> I just yeah, thought that was definitely a, an aspect. Yeah, that was a curious little uh, connection as well. But yeah, really, really enjoying the expanse. Cool. I'm I'm looking forward to what like uh, listening to your experience. Like, say, if you do dip into a book and then a yeah. show and seeing how you feel like the show develops because um, yeah. there's definitely a noticeable difference in. I mean, as with any show, and the same with Game of Thrones, with I guess production value. and the visual aesthetic of the show as it progresses and once amazon are on board you definitely notice like a big soaring quality as far as that not don't get me wrong there's definitely when you watch it and it's in the early stages of like sci-fi owning it 
there's definitely a lot of passion uh, that's gone mm. into that world, the world building of the show, which is like one of its key aspects of it is it's, it's fantastic that the amount of detail that's been put into it from the people involved. But yeah. as the show kind of gets a bigger budget, like I say, and, uh, and they get that scope, it expands again, boost. no pun intended. But yeah, it, it does, it does, you can see it on the screen and it translates really well. And for me, it's a very similar experience to watching Battlestar Galactica, at least mm. their, their reimagining of that from a few years back. Um, in the sense that, like, again, it's a sci-fi thing, but I, I don't think anyone took that over because we weren't kind of in streaming territory days back then. But yeah. uh, you you notice that as a show improve drastically on that level and it becomes way more cinematic in its visual approach as well. And it's the same yeah. with The Expanse. Um, but throughout, it's solid as far as the way it's written and performed and stuff. It's, it'll have you invested from day one, I'd say. Yeah, even just like, and I've always had this... Um... I was going to ask you about that as well, but I've I've always had this, I guess, preconceived notion about the Sci-Fi Channel. I'm just, mm-hmm. I never, I never jumped on to watching anything that they've produced. It just feels very, very TV. But I, I did watch the first episode, and I was quite surprised, at least, that the writing was top notch. But then, obviously, they're pulling from great source material, you know. So, um, like a lot of the dialogue was just pulled ripped straight from the book. Um, yeah. And then I was actually very surprised at how some of the visuals, at least in the very first episode, looked great to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can tell where it could get a little budget boost later. Yeah. But it still looked great for, for, for what it was. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to see. I think it's is it season four that I moves to Amazon. I think it was, yeah. Or yeah, season pretty three, sure. I don't know. I think it might have been four. Yeah, right. from off, off the top of my head. Well, yeah. uh, apparently it's Jeff Bezos' baby. Oh, right, it's his okay. favourite show on TV, which is why they resurrected mm-hmm. it when it got cancelled. Okay. So um, we can pretty much guarantee nine seasons of The Expanse now at this stage because uh, Jeff Bezos loves it. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so he's not going to cancel it. <laughs> the one technical one technical gripe i'll just throw it in there right at the end but yeah. um it's uh it's only an issue for anybody who's watched the show or watching the show um with like a, a surround sound system set up or something like that but the sound mixing is appalling for the expanse on streaming services like it's terrible and i genuinely had to sit through and watch at least four seasons maybe more with subtitles on I to, had to, to do the same to thing. To hear what was being said, and it's yeah. so irritating. And if you watch it through a TV set, just through the TV speakers, it's okay. It's a, certainly an improvement. But it, yeah. it's actually nothing to do with the people that made the show. It's some weird technical issue with how it was translated to the streaming service and the way they did the mix. This sounds like really boring technical stuff, but trust me, no, no. as a viewer, when you're watching it, it's so infuriating at times because you're just like, I can't hear anything that anybody's saying in this yeah, scene. yeah. And I have to have the subtitles up. But in a weird way, because it was a red experience as well as a visual one when I did binge on it, I felt like I soaked in more of the story and absorbed more yeah. of the dialogue maybe than I would have done if I didn't have subtitles on. It almost felt like watching a, a foreign film kind of experience. Yeah. It had that aspect to it as well, just because I had I was forced to watch it that way. But, I'd um, forgotten about that. I was going to actually yeah. mention that to you, maybe off air, just <laughs> being no, like, no, hey, it's a genuine is thing. there a... Yeah. Is it a thing with my TV? Like, I, I did actually have to put the subtitles on for mm-hmm. episode one because I found, especially Miller, 
um, yeah. who was played by Thomas Jane. I thought it might have been a character thing that he was just kind of mumbling a little bit. Yeah. Uh, now, I noticed but, the yeah. misunderstanding online of some people raising that concern and then other people's yeah. response being like, oh, no, no, it's just the belter language is hard to understand. And it's like, no, no, I think people no. misunderstand it. It's not about not understanding what the characters are saying as far as like their language is concerned. It's how the sound has been mixed. Like it's really yeah. difficult. Anyway, far too nerdy to get into. But yeah. That's a that's another that brings up another cool question. So in the books, obviously the Belter Creole that is spoken mm-hmm. is kind of a mix of a bit uh, yeah, a bit of Jamaican Creole mixed with some Spanish words. Mm-hmm. Um so I was able to understand it at all times. Obviously, for anybody listening to the podcast, I am actually Spanish. Yeah. Half Irish um, so it was cool for me to read that and not get any explanation so I was always understanding what the belters were saying <laughs> yeah um, each actor so, yeah, has their own un- all I will say is each actor in the show has their own unique take on what okay. that accent should be and sometimes you've got actors who are like doing the accent so sometimes yeah. I'd say you've got like white actors who are doing the accent who are like very self-consciously aware that they don't <laughs> want to do some horrendous stereotype of sounding yeah. Afro-Caribbean or something you know what I mean like there's that sa- sound in the accent that you right. s- actors are taking it in a different direction and then other actors that are like speaking it have no problem just really f- throwing themselves going into it and it. going for it yeah but some people have like, it's like, oh, it's sounding a bit Scottish now. Now it's a bit Welsh and now it's all of a sudden it's a bit Caribbean again. And now it's kind of going other places. And it's like, right. it does dance around as a dialect. But then again, because it's such a massive mix of people from all different cultures. Exactly, yeah. It kind of makes sense that it's just this mishmash of sounds. Yeah. But, yeah, it doesn't, yeah, I guess it doesn't really matter if it's supposed to be one thing. Like, I don't know, to, at least the way it read to me is that you just have such a mix of human culture mm-hmm. that it's not really one thing or the other. There's a bit of Jamaican Creole. There's a bit of like Spanish. There's a bit of some South American Spanish words and then some, you know, weird English, but chopped in a different way, yeah. you know, sentence structure. Yeah, it's, 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 it was just another aspect that was really cool to read about, you know. Yeah, they're essentially like the pirates of the story. If this would yeah. be like, you know, if this was if this was medi- if this was fantasy genre and we're doing mm. Game of Thrones territory, the, you know, they are the kind of like the piratey type of figure, the the nautical yeah. sort of type of characters. But also, I think they sort of represent the kind of ethnic like the the ethnic minorities of Earth who have yeah. moved out into that stratosphere, and and it's like a big rich cultural mix of of everybody yeah. like this sort of amalgamation of everything condensed into into one culture that's formed it's a big itself. thing it's a big thing i enjoyed i found interesting as well just that earth still has this kind of um you know superiority complex mm-hmm. over everybody else and it really bleeds into the cultures that you get to know especially on the belt you spend you spend all the first book on the belt so I, I think that's really clever because you become a belter. You be like when you're reading, you're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you want to join the OPA, which is the um, the Outer Planets Alliance. They're kind of, we are told that they're terrorists or they're maybe not terrorists. So it's, yeah. it's really, it's really fascinating how, you know, you take the same dynamics that we have now in humanity and society of the rich and the poor and the superiority complex and then the inferiority complex it's really cool how it just yeah 
ah, I want to make another pun. Yeah, it just expands out <laughs> into the solar system. Yeah, and you'll get um, you'll also get the fun of the elitism of Mars as well, and the jealousy, yeah. the kind of resentment between Earth and Mars is really interesting. In that kind of like, it's developed into something that seems greater than Earth, and you can yeah. tell there's a lot of resentment and rivalry between the two places there as well. Yeah, um, so that's really fun as you carry on. Cool. Well, I'm really, really excited to get into the second book. I've parked it now for a week or two. Um, I will reveal. I am actually um, a good bit into Dune or Dune. Okay. Dune. Yeah. Uh, however you want <laughs> to pronounce June it. June the month or Dune. Dune. <laughs> or Dune. <laughs> um, Dune. Dune. Um, so, yeah, I'm reading, I'm reading Dune, which is something I'm ashamed to say I never got around to because it always kind of intimidated me to read, mm-hmm. but I'm loving it. So I've, I've parked The Expanse for now. I'm also reading another kind of epic fantasy novel now as well um, by John Gwynne. It's called Malice, the first book in The Faithful and the Fallen, mm-hmm. which I will talk about at some stage whenever I finish it. I'm about halfway through, so I'll leave that for now. But yeah. Cool. Um, so next up, I guess I have myself and a couple of comedy shows that I've recently watched. They've both had their second season air this year. The first, I did a double season binge on. Um, it's called uh, Ted Lasso. Uh, oh, yeah. Or Lasso. I don't know. <laughs> the American pronunciation of that is probably Lasso. Um which is an Apple TV sitcom created by uh, Jason Sudeikis. And he stars as this American football coach who's hired to come over to England and coach a failing football team called AFC Richmond. Despite the fact that it's set around football, and I'm an Englishman who's about got as little knowledge or interest in that subject as maybe (laughs) most American viewers would have. Um, Yeah. Um, I still absolutely love the show and that's mainly down I'd say to how well it's written and also um, the way it's performed by its supporting cast. Every single character really is given their time to shine and the actors playing them just within like even a few episodes each one gives a really unforgettable performance and there's lots of standouts in that cast to be fair like I'll mention a few. You've got, um, who do you have first? You've got Hannah Waddingham as Rebecca and she's kind of become the football club's owner due to a recent divorce settlement with her slimy ex who's played by Anthony Head really really well and um, she's responsible for hiring Ted as some form of revenge on her ex in the hope that he will come along and run the club into the ground that's sort of her intention Um, uh, sort of unaware to Ted and to everybody else in the show. And then um, you've got Ted himself, who has two oddball sidekicks in the form of his assistant coach and close friend, Coach Beard, and then Nate, the former team kit man. Both of them played with lots of quirky charm by Brendan Hunt and Nick Mohammed. And on the team itself, you've got this rivalry between two standout players. You've got the characters Jamie Tart and Roy Kent, One is kind of this young, sort of cocky, Beckham-esque type of pretty boy, up-and-coming striker. And uh, then the other one is like this stubborn, ageing ex-superstar who's leading the team. 
and kind of making things interesting between the two of them and even more tense, you've got Juno Temple as Keely Jones, who's like this ex-glamour model who has a relationship with both of the stars. And she also works for the club as its PR assistant. But it really is a sign of how good the show is that like even a character like hers that could easily in any other show be a bit of a cardboard cutout bimbo sort of cliche yeah um she's really really well fleshed out and brought to life by the writing and the acting on the show and in fairness um that's across the board with kind of all the characters in the show so that's the big sell of the show to be honest it's how well it does that for all of its characters as well as ted himself and his worldview which is uh i don't know it's kind of like full of like this small town optimistic charm that sort yeah. of goes against the cynicism of like a typical sort of English attitude, uh, the kind of culture he's surrounded by. I can absolutely and, see Jason Sudeikis pull that off. Yeah. 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 It's sort of that, he does that really well. And it's like that balance between the sort of American and English sensibilities in not just the culture, but the comedic styles that the show sort of plays around in a really smart and fun way. Yeah. Um, it does show England, I'd say, in a little bit of a chocolate box kind of cartoony way at times, <laughs> maybe for its international audience a little bit. But, um, but the cast kind of give it an authenticity, I'd say, that sort of contrasts that nicely. And uh, Sadiqis himself, he does a brilliant job, like I say, of making, I guess, like a fish of water scenario, not only in the sense of the story, but also the tone of the show and the comedy, which is equally this balance of like American and English styles at times. Um, but yeah, if you like, you wanted a genuine heartfelt kind of comedy coming from somewhere quite honest and it doesn't really care where you're from as a viewer or even if you've got an interest in sport like I say then uh yeah it's just a really charming show that'll win you over I definitely think it's up your street as far as the type of comedy that it does it does that warm heartfelt sort of like fuzzy thing like really really well it's not sickly sweet it's it's like I say it's coming from a real genuine place and uh I've actually stayed away from it. For, I've I've considered watching it. I've watched trailers, and uh, I've been about to turn it on numerous times over the last few months since getting Apple TV. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just like a sitcom about football. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly my reaction. And uh, it wasn't until sort of like hearing very rave reviews of its second season that I bothered to kind of like, oh, I thought, oh, I'll go on okay. YouTube, I'll check out the trailer. And the trailer got a few laughs out of me and I thought, oh, okay, that's interesting. And like I said, I think it was more, it wasn't even the subject matter that intrigued me because like I said, I've got no interest whatsoever and I'm sure anyone listening to me even chatting through that there would probably be thinking this guy doesn't know what he's talking about as far as talking about football. You know, uh, who knows what, the characters I could have gone into detail about exactly what position they play and stuff like that and have an understanding of the sport but I really that really doesn't matter when you start watching the show like I say it's just a a really universal show with lovable characters that like I say portrays this this really interesting philosophical approach I'd say about the way maybe Americans approach the world and life in comparison to the English yeah and the contrast between the two in a really interesting way like it it kind of it it plays with that really well 
And, yeah. uh, and I guess kind of like shows like the, the best sides of both cultures really in an interesting way. It's kind of, it's nice to watch something that's made in that way these days. That's cool. That, is, that isn't cynical, that yeah. isn't afraid to kind of like do something genuine. And uh, especially in these, t- I, I did read a few reviews where a few people were throwing the word cheesy in there and stuff and saying about it. That, and I feel like those people are just like being overly defensive about the fact that they can't admit to like, something can just be genuine without being cheesy you know what i mean like and people yeah. immediately yeah. after like well sound a bit cool about it like oh well you know it's for, for something a bit cheesy it's quite good yeah. it's like no it's not i don't think it's i cheesy don't tap into my emotions in this way yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh it's one of those but um yeah really really enjoyed that uh well worth a, a good binge on both seasons i think cool at the moment second season i was up to i think maybe episode four is the next one to watch as cool. far as what's been aired to date. But um, yeah, you'll definitely fall in love with all the characters and like all the performances. I think it'd be right up your street. And my other show um, is about as far away from the quaint, sort of cosy charm of Ted Lasso as you could really get comedy-wise. Um, but I'd say it's also equally as personal and sort of like well-crafted in its approach is the show Dave, which was a show that I originally checked out during its first season and I've recently finished off the second season which was aired this year um at the time the first season was understandably I guess compared to shows like Atlanta yeah since it sort of deals with the struggles of an up-and-coming rapper and his personal life um but Dave really I don't know. It's very, very different. It's it's created by sorry. Um, it's created by rapper comedian Dave Bird, who's also known as Little Dicky. Yeah, and it's its own thing entirely. I'd say that's mainly down to Dave himself, who, uh, like the show he stars in, manages to be like hilariously sort of vulgar at times, and then vulnerable and really relatable to others. And then also at the same time, the sort of like dick swinging force of nature when he raps like he just explodes and he's absolutely amazing to watch but it's also another show that kind of gives its creator the he kind of gives his supporting cast sorry the time to shine as well and he gives them as much attention as his own with the story so over two seasons he manages to flesh them out into these really fully formed personalities that you love you've got uh who do you have you have a rapper Gator starring as himself as Dave's hype man. He kind of like supporting Dave on his rise to fame and he's making a name for himself along the way. And then you've got his ex-workmate graphic designer, Emma, who's kind of dealing with his rise to success as well. And her kind of lack of recognition for her part in that from him. Uh, As well as that, she sort of dishes out advice to him on his failing relationship with his girlfriend, Ali, who's also her roommate. Uh, and you also have Mike, who's Dave's roommate and ex-manager, who's in, a, I'd say, a similar role to maybe Donald Glover's in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, having to deal with his friend's rise to fame as well. And then Els, who's like his childhood friend and producer early on, who has to deal with Dave's new label passing over producing responsibility to a big time record producer paid, played again by himself. Uh, a lot of the cast are doing this in that, uh, Benny Blanco, playing himself as the show's sort of oddball producer role. Um, and it's hard to say really why I would recommend 
that anyone checks it out on paper <laughs> when I kind of read the premise out because it just sounds like another version of Atlanta, really. Yeah. Um, but Dave's really got its own thing going on entirely. It's really unique. Each episode's really uniquely written and he manages to like cover different issues and concerns about like day-to-day life and his experiences himself that are really kind of universally appealing but also feel like they've, like I say, come from somewhere really sort of like true to himself and I don't know it's not overindulgent or sort mm-hmm. of twatty the way it does that you know sometimes someone makes a show based on their life and it's like and I'm playing me and this is about myself and that can seem a little bit too much like it's it's not like that it's uh I don't know it's kind of done in a really really clever way um yeah. and it also it you're watching a show that, to me, it feels like therapy almost for like for Dave Bird himself. Like you feel like right, he, yeah. he's had to make this show to figure out where he needs to be at this stage in his life. Yeah. But also he manages to kind of like make this thing that is universally appealing that kind of like manages to entertain the masses, but also at the same time is a man figuring out himself and what he's meant to be doing with yeah. his career and stuff. And yeah, I don't know, it's just a really interesting blend. of. Uh, I did notice w- very weirdly that there was quite a negative reaction to its first season critically, mm-hmm. and yet the second season is like way soaring up at near the top of the charts on Metacritic. Right. And I would compare that to, that's from my experience of like re- getting really into Silicon Valley early on when that started, and that was the same sort of reaction there of like people yeah. kind of like not really gelling to something. And then all of a sudden, a season or so later, just be, like raving about it. But me watching it from the outside, looking in, thinking like, this is pretty much the same thing that I watched the first time round yeah. to a degree. I don't understand what it is about. Maybe there's probably slightly less dick jokes and <laughs> vulgar humour in the second season from the first. And yeah. I'd say you probably get a little bit less of Dave himself rapping in the second season as the first. It, I I get a feeling that people might be attaching themselves a bit more to it critically in the second season because I don't know maybe it's it's approaching themes and ideas with its characters and stuff that are a bit more in the zeitgeist and a bit more right. relevant to people whereas the first season didn't do that as much but it's still as brilliantly written and well performed um, yeah. and it's still hilariously funny at times but it's also got that I can see the the tricky thing is like I say how successful Atlanta was as a show and it's very easy to compare the two in a way because there's this definitely this tone that Dave has, that Atlanta has, where you have genuine moments of really brilliant comedy at one stage, and then all of a sudden you have very well drawn out dramatic moments that seem yeah. entirely relatable, that are shot and depicted in a really like beautiful way that m- maybe the attention of a typical drama might be given to but yeah. done in a comedy show. And Dave does that same thing, I guess. Um, so it's easy to make the sort of like the lazy comparison between the two. But where did, if, where did you, you watch the one, show? You love the other. Uh, it, it, well, it was on BBC iPlayer at different times, but okay. I think it was originally an effects show. Right, um, right. But uh, I, I'm sure you could find sources online to kind of locate it. But um, Cool. Yeah, just if, if you're a fan of Atlanta, definitely check it out. Um, but don't be expecting Atlanta at the same time. Something very, very right. different from that. Cool. Uh, yeah. So that was a, my kind of like my experience recently enough was just delving into comedies, really. Um, 
And the only other of, thing, sorry, I've dipped into. A bit into. of lighthearted uh, escapism just from the busyness of life, Dan. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, I think I needed that yeah. um, at the moment. And uh, yeah, yeah, you'll definitely get that from both of those shows. The only other thing that I've recently sort of delved into, which again, I guess is um, I'm very late to the party on and I just finished its first season was Succession. Yeah, the HBO oh, yeah. Yeah. drama, would you, it's hard to say if you would refer to it as a drama or as a comedy, really, treads that line really finely. A dramedy. Dramedy, is that the term, yeah. yeah. Um, I was I was surprised. I, I had people last year, very early last year, telling me to check that show out, and yeah. I heard very good things about it. I just never got around to seeing it. Yeah. Um, I have heard rough things about the premise and I thought, okay, that sounds like a, some things I might have seen before, but I'm intrigued. But mm. I had no idea at the time that the showrunner was um, Jesse Armstrong, who is kind of responsible for writing things like Peep Show and Four Lions, um, being a writer on that. So that was a, came as a real shock to me because I didn't know that like this HBO kind of like drama that people were saying was actually really funny at times yeah. was created by this sort of like this other voice from across the pond, this comedy sort of voice generally, you know, typically delving into comedy. I know he seems to have done other things as well. But yeah. um, that definitely gave it that edge because when I was watching it, I was thinking like, oh, this is really interesting because he's, he's experimenting here into some other territory where he's kind of like, because I, I think that drama can have moments of, of great humour in it. And I don't understand why people are scared about just like, drama has to be deadly serious all the time yeah and you can't have light-hearted moments in there but like this yeah. treads this wonderful line i feel as a show between actually managing to be really gripping engaging drama on one level but also have hysterically funny moments and really funny lines and really absurd situations that a sitcom would have and not Find really them. feel like they clash like feel like they're actually just part yeah, yeah. of natural of the world of the story because yeah it's real because that's that's what that's life, life is like. Exactly, yeah, that's yeah. life. Uh, I find the best show that that did that for me was the US version of Shameless. Now I know I've mm -hmm. never really gotten into the English version or the, the Channel Four version, but I find that at least until maybe season seven or eight, that the US version of Shameless towed that balance really, really, really well, and it's the best at least one of my favorites i don't like saying the best because that's quite subjective but at least mm -hmm. my favorite show just about real life real people doing real shit um and it doesn't have anything to do with like crime or space or any kind of fantastical not real life elements you know of where you don't live in that world it's it's yeah it's it's um yeah that that balance of hysterically funny moments real heartbreak stuff that could make you cry because it's the closest to your life that you're seeing on mm -hmm. on tv you know i think shameless for me was the one that i always go back to for those things because like with sitcoms like um you know sitcoms that i enjoy kind of like new girl or you know friends there's there are heightened things that just don't happen Mm -hmm. um, that play off for comedy you know and, and stuff like that but it's very very stylized in a way that well, things like that just don't happen you know <laughs> but um, 
think the closest as well as the office, at least until maybe later seasons, um, when Steve Carell is not there. Yeah. Um, Have you seen Succession out of interest? Sorry. No, no, no. Um, I. No. I have difficulty these days. I, during my teen years, I was a very bold boy and I would always torrent stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I don't do it really anymore. And it's not because I'm going straight or anything. It's just that it's getting more <laughs> difficult to do it. Um, but yeah, I, I haven't, I haven't been able to watch it essentially, but basically I haven't been able to watch it. And there's a few HBO shows now in the last couple of years that I just haven't been able to watch. Yeah. Well, I, well, except, I was like, oh, sorry. Okay. I was just going to mention, except for Mayor of Easttown, because I, de- I got Now TV for a week to watch Mayor of Easttown. So yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, sorry. I was, I was, I was going to say with Succession, what, what intrigues me as well is I reckon I'm curious where, what, I guess what sort of seed planted the idea in his head about like as a writer, why he wanted to make the show. And I, I don't know, it, it feels yeah. to me like somebody's like, maybe he sort of sat there one day and he's thought like, I wonder who, what are the lives of the people who are in charge? You know, like not my career as a whole, as a writer in television and stuff like that. It's like, he's kind of almost thinking about, it's a really interesting idea. I think for somebody who's been given maybe a commission or something like go over to America, make sure about Americans, but he's maybe thought to himself, like, well, who's like bankrolling the company that made me a success? And and and, and you know, you you work yeah. your way up to your Murdoch sort of like level of like who are the, who are these super rich individuals running this media empire? And it would be very easy to just make something that rips the piss out of them, and yeah. it's like quite cynically done. And it's like, but he manages to like humanize them in a really, really interesting way. And they're despicable individuals at times, do horrible things to each other. But it's so well written and so well performed that you kind of like, it's got such complexity to it that it's a a really interesting approach because I reckon he's kind of like, that idea has entered his mind and he's just gone full steam ahead with it. And even the voice, even the voice that comes through as a writer when you're watching that show it feels so well researched. It feels like every character, no character feels like, this bugs me sometimes. Sometimes characters sound like a writer's voice coming through and not like the characters themselves in TV. You know what I mean? Like even a really great writer takes over something and the characters start to just sound like a smart version of the person that's written it rather than the way the characters in the real world would actually sound. And just everybody in this cast here, everyone does such a solid job of just, this feels it doesn't feel like an outsider writing a show about America. It feels like yeah. a, you know a really well experienced show from the point of view of somebody who completely understands this world and these people and their lives and where they come from. But obviously, yeah. it's like it is an alien uh, outsider sort of view on that looking in, and um, it's really interesting because of that. Uh, cool and that balance, like I say, like it doesn't feel like that. And there are moments even where later on, without spoiling, there are aspects of the show where you will get a little bit of, I guess, UK culture come into it. And it's really mm-hmm. refreshing to watch that done on this really big HBO level where you go to those locations and they feel real and they feel like, ah, th- somebody gets this. Somebody has, is showing Americans what this culture is really like and these places yeah. are really like. And even just little, you know, supporting roles or something played by somebody it's like 
yeah, that's genuinely what someone like that would yeah. sound like. It's nice to see that on a HBO level. But uh, yeah, every, everybody's great in it, like I say. And the ending, it's one of the best final episodes of a season of television I've seen in a very, very long time. But yeah, yeah, it's uh, I definitely think you should try and check it out just to like say but by the time I've got I'm lucky that I've got now because I've done this and I'm very late to the party I've got actually a whole second season to to uh, dip into next cool. as well to I go straight through happens. it's great yeah. but I'm looking forward to that because like I say the way that last one ended as it was a, a wonderful mixture of not just comedy but incredibly high stakes like tense payoff <laughs> and delivery yeah. with drama and stuff like, oh my god that is so brilliantly put together cool um, cool. Yeah, it's, it's a very good experience from me. There's a few that I'm looking forward to now coming up soon, and at least one that I don't know how I'm going to watch it because I don't have, you know, I'm just. We need to have HBO Max and Hulu and stuff here <laughs> yeah, on this side yeah. of the pond, nice, please, because there's so much stuff there. But yeah, I, the Why the Last Man TV show is coming out uh, like the second week of September, cool. but it's on FX on Hulu. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, are we going to have to wait for it to eventually come on to Disney Plus on the stars thing? Or I don't like, I have no idea how I'm going to watch it. Yeah, it's a weird, weird thing. Many, many years now I've been waiting, like you say, for Hulu in particular yeah. to just do something like in that in this marketplace, like for yeah. even even just the UK or something like for when, yeah. back when I was there, I was shocked that, I mean, Ireland gets a pretty tough deal generally with those services anyway like compared to weirdly that's the hypocrisy of i guess yeah. of some of these companies like having quite a sort of like prevalent i guess like base in ireland in particular for various reasons yeah. but then like when it comes to the launch of something or access to it it's like it's available in the uk before ireland yeah. i don't know anyway we'll get into that that's boring stuff but yeah it's weird anyway anyway <laughs> So thanks everyone for listening. Hope you have enjoyed that. We're going to be back uh, with another episode soon enough. Uh, hopefully more to talk about in the realm of uh, what Carlos has been reading maybe and mm-hmm. possibly some of the things that uh, I've been watching maybe during my recent holiday period. I was a bit of comfort watching there. So maybe cool. go into detail about that a little bit. Thanks again. And hopefully you will hear us soon. Don't Take forget care. to do your homework subscribe follow donate if you can on Red Circle if you like what we do here all that good stuff yeah indeed take care bye guys bye bye